Welcome to the Arts and Minds podcast from Dominican University. I'm Leslie Rodriguez. Located in River Forest, Illinois, in 2020, U.S. News and World Report ranked Dominican University at number 10 among Midwest regional universities and number one for best value in Chicagoland. At the heart of the university is its Catholic Dominican tradition, grounded in the compatibility of reason and faith. The programs of the Live Arts and Minds series presented on campus each year are curated to reflect that tradition and build on the university mission to participate in the creation of a more just and humane world. Today's episode is the first in a new series called Faith Time from the University Ministry Center. DU students and interfaith interns Allie Wright and Ailea Hernandez interviewed Dr. Bethlehem Hailu Dezene about interfaith conversations, her work as a cultural anthropologist, and the impact of the pandemic on her personal faith experience. The conversation was recorded on October 8, 2020. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first installment of Faith Time. This is our socially distanced um, get-together where we can celebrate and discuss interfaith relationships um, despite our distance right now. Um, I will introduce myself. Uh, my name is Allie Wright, and I'm a sophomore here at Dominican University. Um, and this is my first year getting the honor to work as an interfaith intern at our University Ministry Center. Um, and I uh, identify as a relatively non-denominational Christian um, and I'm super excited to be here. I'm really lucky to be working with my amazing partner, Ailea, um, who is a bit more experienced than me. So, um, Ailea, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, when Ali says a bit, she does mean a bit more. Um, I've been with Interfaith for about two years now. Um, I am a math and computer science double major at Dominican University as well. I am a second generation Mexican-American, which informs a lot of my worldview. I'm also Catholic and conservative. Um, and yeah, so I'd like to let our guest introduce herself, Ms. Bethlehem. Would you like to uh, would you like to kick it off? Hi everyone. My name is Bethlehem Hailu Dezene, and I am uh, an anthropologist by training. I did my undergraduate and graduate studies in anthropology, specifically cultural anthropology, and my work focuses on uh, mostly Christianity, but I've done a lot of uh, studies between on Islamic and Christian relation. But uh, I'm originally from Ethiopia and most of my work has been on the Ethiopian Orthodox church tradition, how religion is experienced in everyday life. And more specifically, my PhD studies focused on spiritual healing, whether it is through consumption of holy water or exorcisms. It's a new style of uh, healing, charismatic healing. So that's what I had written my uh, dissertation on. Currently, I'm on the faculty of Claremont Lincoln University, where I teach a class on interfaith relations. And I also work as a, an assessment senior Vice President at Charisma University. And my faith background is Ethiopian Orthodox Christian, but uh, in my long journey in um, spiritual pursuits, I have studied a lot of uh, Sufi Islam, uh, Buddhism, mostly Tibetan and Zen, and uh, I, I've studied a lot of Carl Jungian, Jungian uh, psychology, but uh, I identify as an Orthodox Christian and I've been a faithful practitioner. So I can call myself a religious <laughs> Orthodox who lives the life of the church. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. So thank you. Yes, definitely. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, Bethlehem here actually offered to start us off with a prayer to really get us in the spirit of the conversation that we're about to have as well. So Bethlehem, if you'd like to. Thank you for this opportunity. 
I'm going to choose a prayer that is part of the daily morning, midday, and night prayer. Uh, it's called the Trisagion Prayers. And each one of you, you can meditate on a higher power or any any being that you respect while I'm doing this prayer, but uh, you can participate in the prayer from my tradition as well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever and to the ages of all ages, amen. Glory to thee, our God, glory to thee, O heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. I ask that the Spirit of God guide us in these conversations. May my words be useful to all the listeners. May the questions and comments that I receive help me grow as well. May the Spirit guide us in this communion and this time that we spend together. In the name of God, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Papa. That was beautiful. So we can go ahead and get started. Um, uh, Ilea actually is the one who introduced um, Bethlehem to me um, and brought her into the podcast. So like I said, we're very excited. Um, Ilea, do you want to um, talk a little bit about how uh, you two know each other? Yeah, so uh, Bethlehem and I actually met in, in interfaith conversations for uh, for students by students meeting. Uh, it was a really, really great topic and we ended up talking, you know, naturally the conversation flew to this idea of intimate conversations amidst social distance. Um, Bethlehem had so much to say about it from a super cool um, perspective that I just thought everybody that could should hear it. Um, so, you know, through that we connected and, and here we are. And it's so awesome to have you here um, yet again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, if you'd like, we can jump right into the interview. Um, so we've heard a little bit about your faith background and you know i was wondering how has that perspective influenced or changed during the pandemic at all um i think maybe the uh, pandemic has brought an intensification um maybe i was practicing my faith and living my life in some kind of rhythm but everything has changed since February, March, and that have called upon me to use all my resources in terms of keeping calm, uh, listening to all the news, all the ang anxiety invoking things that are happening in the world. And it is quite easy to despair and lament that life might not go back to how we had experienced it pretty much all our lives, despite crises here and there, say like 9-11 or the market crash of 2008. But this one is the most impactful because it has mismanaged our daily lives or quote unquote mismanaged because we were used to a certain rhythm of life. Um, so this intensification of faith required me how to handle everything that is happening intensely day by day things are changing and then all these social fissures started showing up in the american landscape at least although this is a pandemic being experienced by the world each country has its own experience of it but in america i think probably even from a foreigner's perspective so much is happening here, uh, politically, socially, um, religious and spiritual landscape. There's so much happening, so many conversations, so many frustrations. How to hold all that with a degree of equanimity, a degree of peace. Um, and we all are touched by the pandemic directly or indirectly. For example, I had uh, my uncle who lives in Sweden, who got ill very quickly and we didn't even have a chance to say goodbye very quickly, got into the hospital, stayed there for six weeks and 
is almost, uh, you can say, one of those miraculous recoveries. So that experience in those six weeks were even more intense because now these stories were not about other people's relatives dying or being sick or being in the intensive care. It came home. So how am I faithful to God in times of difficulty? Would I be held faithful in these times when it's hard to hold on to someone that you don't see, you don't experience, but you hang on to, you call on to in faith. And I don't think we have many opportunities for our faith to be tested like this. So instead of running away from the challenge, which is presented emotionally, even physically, you could feel very claustrophobic. Each day is the same and it's dark and there's no movement, no no sign of life, at least human life. So yep. it could feel very apocalyptic, uh, at least the way that the movies depict it. Yep. And how does your faith, how do you become accountable? It's actually not about God. It's about you at this point. Oh, so you say you have a relationship with God. You have been living a certain spiritual life, a certain religious life. Now, how does that faith, how does that practice, how does that daily life of uh, faith come in to help you in such moments. So I, I think this gave me the opportunity to test my faith because I think faith is not irrational. It is very scientific. You are given every opportunity to test the spirit and see how you fare through that. Yeah. So this, is, this has been my experience and uh, I have embraced the challenge. I'd rather be challenged than, because it shows me what the limit of my my faith is. Um, some of us are starters. Some of us are halfway through the journey. Our intimacy with God is different. Some people, they may be finding God in this, in this moment because of the incredible pressures. Right. Or some might be abandoning him because they think, <laughs> where are you in all this pandemic? So, different people will have different reactions to what they conceive is a higher power or what human capacity has to overcome this. Yeah. So I don't know where different people are, but <laughs> for my sense, uh, I accepted the challenge in a certain way and it has benefited me and it has strengthened my faith. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think that's so beautiful. And I think a lot of people, um, especially like a lot of people of faith are experiencing that right now. Um, and, you know, I'm curious, cause like you seem, you know, so strong in your faith. And I think that's amazing. It's really inspirational. Um, but like interfaith and interfaith relations have become like a, a new passion of mine. And I'm, I'm curious, like what was um, like the motivation behind like your enthusiasm towards interfaith work? I think uh, anyone who's truly religious or pra a practitioner, and maybe uh, it's always important to define terms. And when I say I identify as a religious person, I mean, because we use the word spiritual and religious, and they might mean something here and something there. And maybe when I was in my uh, time, when I was really studying Islam and Buddhism and um, reading J. Krishnamurti or Carl yeah. Jung, I was trying to reconcile a path, but I still was not a daily practitioner of one particular thing. So I did not call myself particularly religious, but I call myself religious now since I have dedicated myself to one particular path and each of the religions have helped me get to this stage. Especially Sufism has taught me how to speak intimately with God. I never knew that you can speak with God in terms that almost look like uh, the words that you would use in romance uh, towards a lover. I did not know that was permitted <laughs> to speak about God in such a way. <laughs> So when I was 19 years old, to discover Rumi and his language to, to, about his love, 
to Allah, it really um, opened some things for me. But as a dedicated practitioner, I did it only within orthodoxy. I was born and raised as an orthodox Christian. My parents are uh, practitioners, but I chose to you know, navigate somewhere else, challenge, question my faith. But ultimately, this is where I found all of the things that I've gotten from other religions coalesce and I know what I stand on. Um, how other things could add without detraction, it's always mm -hmm. amazing to me. I see it's grace for me to find God in every religion and yet still feel at home in one where I practice without the negation of any other. So interfaith work is a life work. It's not a work separate from who you are in a sense. So whatever interfaith work I do is because my faith is formed by what I've learned through Zen koans, through Sufi poems. So my life reflects a certain kind of interfaith work, which is easy to bring about in some kind of directed way when you are doing campus ministry or having conversations or where you're teaching about interfaith. So I, a certain degree of a lived life feels like it's a requirement in order to do interfaith work. Otherwise, whatever you don't embody, it always remains on the psychological level or on the, the on the theoretical level. So experience grounds you and then you feel a certain confidence to do interfaith work where you don't push too much because you know you don't know enough about other religions but you know enough to open doors and have amazing conversations i mean yeah. i travel a lot through the middle east and Rumi, what always a great start for conversation <laughs> so interfaith work could be done through cooking together through traveling so we cannot think of it only in this very classroom or very formal style of interfaith work is can be done every moment in the grocery storyline <laughs> it's just the desire to open yourself to learn something because god will always expand your knowledge of him through every path i trust that much that's that's super beautiful. <laughs> um, you know, I, <laughs> something, something I always say, you know, personally is uh, in having, as you say, having these interfaith conversations, talking and learning about, um, you know, what other people believe. I always find that that strengthens my own faith, you know, and I, I like that. I guess I'm not alone in that, that, that you feel the same way. And that some, that's something that I feel I hear from a lot of people who are, you know, invested in this work and do it constantly. That uh, I know personally, I also draw a lot from Islam or from other faiths in my own private prayer as well. So uh, it's it's super cool to hear you talk about that. And um, I know you're talking a bit about conversations, um, and we talked a bit about this off screen. But on screen, would you like to talk a little bit about maybe how you've had those conversations be, like that over the pandemic because i know over the pandemic it's been you can't exactly walk up to the person in the grocery store like they'll just kind of run away from you right now um so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, would you like to talk about how you had and sought out those relationships and conversations sure before i go on i think ali had something to oh, say sorry. <laughs> ali would you like, i i felt like you were about to say something I don't think so. I'm, I, I, I think I'm pretty excited to hear about this too. I'm just like, I'm still like digesting everything you were talking about. Um, cause I, I really love that, but thank you. I really appreciate it, but I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear from you. Um, so the example that, uh, Ilya is talking about uh, where, when we first met in that forum, I mentioned just something I, I, I did on a whim. Um, so I, I am not very big on social media. I deliberately uh, erased myself out of too much uh, web uh, existence. 
because we live in a new time where we actually don't we don't have a generation before us to teach us how to manage our lives on social media as well as our real life so sometimes it's good to unplug to know where you are and then this is the me that i want to present to the world so when we met on this forum uh, and it's because um so i have decided how how do i keep engagement when i don't have a facebook when i don't have honestly i'm pretty anonymous uh, compared to most people my age or your age, if you look for social media presence, I don't have that much. So, but how do I uh, listen into conversations? How do I know what's going on with people in this time? So I have a Twitter account where I listen, listen in into groups that I'm interested in. Uh, so, I discovered Reddit recently, so I count, I created an account and um, I didn't know how it operated, but all these topics I started seeing, like, these are all interesting topics and it's all anonymous. So this is the best place to get honest sentiments. No, um, uh, no ID, nothing, throw away accounts if you want to. So in, I think it was, ask anything reddit subgroup i saw the question how's your mental state right now that was the question and it got an overwhelming response and i started scrolling through the responses just hundreds and hundreds of them and it was really sad for me to read that most people were their sentiments were that they expressed they were in a state of desperation, um, feeling helpless, cut off, alone, unloved, misunderstood, hopeless. A lot of people talked about death and self-destruction. And um, what do you do with hundreds of comments of people saying i rather not exist i rather not face this i rather not feel this i don't matter um and some stories were much much it made me feel like if i ever have anything to complain about right now in my life look at this um let me ignore myself and hold someone else in space hold space for them because they're going undergoing a much, much harder situation where really there, it doesn't look like there's an easy solution. At least for some people you say, oh, you're not seeing that perspective. I can suggest for you to exit that way. But with some of the situations, I couldn't figure out if I could help them in any, any way. And a lot of people ended their comment by saying, probably no one's going to see this. And that made me feel so, so sad, honestly. Yes, thousands of people commented on that question. And maybe some got the highest hit, so people kept responding to the one or two comments, but there were so many comments that no one would ever look because there were hundreds of them. So for three, four days, I kept digging through them. And the ones that I felt like my heart wanted to respond to, yeah. I just wrote a message and say, no, you're not alone. I read it. I read it. Even if I don't give you anything, I read it. And everyone responded with, thank you. I did not expect someone to read it. And I say, it's that simple to make someone feel that they are connected, that they exist, that they matter. One sentence from a stranger. They don't know me. I don't know them. And it made me feel really really great that wow i didn't know this mattered to even me i didn't have confidence when i was writing back they might never read it but there was a connection that happened and we should never underestimate our power to strengthen someone and we should never underestimate the fact that there's someone willing to listen and to respond to us so this was my little experiment and I found it so gratifying and so 
important. So I still listening to Reddit, Reddit in different subgroups, groups that don't represent me at all. I actually choose groups that don't represent me as, as a female, as a black woman, as an African, as a Christian. I go into different groups because this is a conversation that I will never get to have because once people have to protect their social image, they will never say these things vulnerability so i found a lot of vulnerability and me too in my vulnerability i was able to respond to them without feeling like i am a crazy person commenting on strangers <laughs> posting that's incredible yeah thank you so much for sharing that that's like amazing and i think you know there are so many difficult things we're all facing with having to do so much online um and i'm, I'm sure we can all state times when the internet has not been a good place for us but i also think the internet is such a wealth of um connection and of beauty um when we use it in the right ways and so i love that story and um you know like you know like you said like it's it's easy to stay away from social media for all of the negative things um but i've always felt like it's been a i i love my my social media time because it's when i get to connect with people and i get to see people who you know i would otherwise never know but i can follow them <laughs> on instagram and you know you know support them from countries and countries and countries away and it's it's awesome so i i love hearing that um and you know I also, I really appreciate how you kind of went outside of your, your box to um, meet new people and like hear their stories. Like, that's amazing. And I wanna hear, um, like, can you offer us like an anthropological perspective on how like intimate conversations like that you're having there or even in other ways during this time, like how they're like changing in the light of COVID and what that can mean for like interfaith dialogue in general. Um, and has it affected your ability to have those conversations at all? I guess when you consider um, the field of anthropology, it's really the study of the other and in most sense, at, at least as a discipline. It is a Eurocentric American discipline um, that, tr that wanted to look at other people that were not Europeans or Americans. So that even within the American context, you look at Native Americans as the other, the other, the other, the other. Um, and of course, it, it's a very problematic field in some sense that um, the other could be studied, but the other is not studying the studier, right? Um, so in a sense, and anthropology is implicated in colonialism and uh, aiding being the handmaiden in certain power structures but still why i love anthropology it's very <laughs> self-conscious and it tries to correct itself it's tries it tries to be aware of its collusion with power but always um you can't truly uh engage with power until you have the people that you're speaking about doing the work themselves. So why I find myself really interested in anthropology is it's great that a lot of Europeans had written about Ethiopia. How would an Ethiopian write about Ethiopia? Mm -hmm. So I was always interested as a person who whom the field has studied me and my ancestors as the objects of study. What if I reflect back? What if I do the work for my own people? Could I do the anthropology of Americans as an African? Like, how could we equalize? Anthropology is very uneven field. It's people who have resources that can go and study other people's languages and cultures and whatnot. So, but regardless, it's still one of the most open-minded fields if you look because it, it tries to reach across cultures, across linguistic barriers, across religious. It really studies human beings in their context, despite its methodological flaws or its the uh, theoretical flaws, at least it's attempting to understand how the other lives, how the other makes meaning in the world.
but it's a very incomplete picture. So as an academic, as well as as a person of faith, I'm always challenged as to how to make my chosen path of career and faith reconcile. And for a few years, I deliberately stayed away from academia because I did not feel that I was being the truest of myself in the sense of I understood what these theories were telling me about who the other was. There wasn't a diversity of theories from which I could pick. So I took time and I think different religious groups, different religious teachers, sages, great fathers taught me the greatest anthropology. I actually learned the greatest anthropologist being the religious people who left the comfort zones and went into communities, whether it's to preach truth, whether it's to teach compassion, whatever it is, they were the first anthropologists. They went into cultures where they could be killed because they wanted to give something of value. And I think when we're in academia, maybe we forget that we are value creators. We're not just churning out knowledge for knowledge's sake. There has to be value. There has to be communication. So maybe actually <laughs> learn how to be a, a true anthropologist from the desert's fathers, the fathers of the church, um, the Zen masters, the yogis. So they are the brave ones who break barriers. But anthropology, I respect it because it pushes us to go beyond what we know. It's not America. It's not the first world through which we always have to understand the world. There are many, many other lenses. And the diversity of humans is beautiful. So interfaith in that sense shows the diversity of making meaning, comprehending the world, relating. Why do we have to force everyone to look like one no the other is not one or the the one who's reflecting is not just one there's a millions of ways of being but saying that i believe in hierarchy and order we live in a place where say everything's okay everything is equal no there is hierarchy there, there's wisdom and there's lack of wisdom there is ignorance and there there's wise way of living. We can't just say everyone's way of being is correct. So anthropology is a little bit too scared to condemn wrong things because of the sense of the past in a sense. But there has to be responsibility to a certain degree of how we conduct ourselves when we see the other, but it's not excusing the other for everything. It's not excusing ourselves as right over everything. Every relationship requires a certain responsibility. It's not expecting the other to be that. We, how are we found? How are people meeting us before we expect anything from them? So anthropologists, I feel that, and talking about the other, as practitioners, as academics, as interfaith people, that you can't put your faith away and become an anthropologist. You are everything, your career, your relationship with your parents, your siblings, your friends. So I think in, in a way, when I say interfaith and anthropology, my religious experience, I can't separate them. All of them have to come together in some sort of way where I don't feel like I'm an imposter. I have to own all of them, integrate them. I don't care how long it takes, but it's work that you have to do because your career is you. Your artistic pursuit is you. Your love of music is you. All of it is you. So how can you divide yourself? So when I give myself to someone, am I giving my anthropologist side? Am I giving my Christian <laughs> side? I have to give my totality, right? Definitely. So we have to, so when you say anthropology, I say, yeah, I think of it because I'm trained in it formally, but it, ha it is also my life. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's such an incredible way to look at it. I think, you know, all of us come from such diverse backgrounds, just from um, 
being who we are, you know, like nobody has the same experience as you. Um, and those intersections are what make us who we are. Um, and I think it's amazing. So um, we are, as Ilea just mentioned, um, we are open if you have any questions at all um, for Bethlehem. Um, and uh, we have a few more questions as well um, as we start to wrap up. So Ilea, if you wanna. Uh, I would like to direct it back to you too. You have invited me here as a guest. Yeah, of course. I kind of know the topic why you asked me, but I also want to understand why was it important to what I'm saying to you? Why are you interested in the works that you were doing? Um, and how do you see yourself progressing? I'm speaking maybe from a perspective 10, 15 years removed from you. So what do you see yourself? What does interfaith work mean to you? Starting right with the, right with the <laughs> very easy ones. <laughs> um, Ali, would you like to? I could, you know, how are you feeling? You go ahead. Uh, like like we mentioned at the beginning, I, I, I consider Ali the expert. So. Oh, <laughs> I would hardly say that, but sure. Um, so I really came to interfaith um, mainly out of my worldview as a conservative, which I know doesn't really have much to do with faith, um, especially because at the time I was agnostic. Um, but for me, it was really about reaching across bridges, as you say. Um, you know, I found myself pretty much everywhere I go, you know, Chicago's a very liberal uh, area, so pretty much everywhere I go, being with people who maybe I don't agree with necessarily and who don't agree with me, um, which, as you say, it's not a bad thing, <laughs> not in the slightest. Um, if anything, it just opened my eyes to so many different perspectives and, and different ways to see the world. Uh, it was, it, it still is, um, it still is a, a great way uh, to engage with people is through my conservative side. But um, for me, the work really means bridge building. Uh, that's, I, I am a conversationalist at heart. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that in the slightest. So um, conversations for me are such a good way to connect with others on such a deep and spiritual level in such a quick amount of time. I mean, um, you and I have been talking for, what is this, 30 minutes? And <laughs> we've already gotten some of your deepest, you know, thoughts about on the world and your perspectives. So uh, just any movement that can inspire such, you say, vulnerability, um, to me is, is definitely a movement worth, worth following. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I've heard like bits and pieces um, of Ilea's story and every time I hear it, like just the passion she brings to it is what makes like one of the things that makes me so excited about it. Um, <laughs> so, and that's like another thing, like just, you know, meeting you, Bethlehem, like, it's an, another thing that just, like, really energizes me towards the work, um, and I, like I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm very new to interfaith, um, work and interfaith relationship, um, technically, um, but now that I am learning so much more about it, I have looked back on my life, and I've, you know, been able to identify all these moments where I was, like, that was a moment of this, like, interfaith connection that, um, I was so blessed to be a part of, and I didn't even realize how important it was, um, and to me, like, that's kind of how I see it. It's this amazing way that we get to connect with people and not just, um, you know, acknowledge them, not just, under, um, like, understand them, um, surface level or even just respect them surface level. Instead, we, we get to know one another and what makes us who we are and we get to celebrate that and we get to celebrate the differences and the similarities. Um, and I think, you know, I, um, like Ilea, like I love people. I love to talk um, and I just love to know people and you know, have our hearts and our souls be connected um, just as much as we can talk. And so that's what, you know, makes me so excited about it. So if I had to, you know, like going to your original question, like if I had to say like what interfaith work like means to me, it's about that love. It's about that deep connection um, that can only happen when you celebrate one another and your differences despite anything. Um, so that's what's made me fall in love with it. And I, I've become more and more obsessed with it every day. So I'm really, really enjoying that. 
it looks like we have a question in the chat. Um, and this is from Al. She says, uh, how do you hold both hopes and fears for the future together? Like, what is the role of interfaith in having both at the same time? Hmm. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, I think it's scripture says hope is sight and see. Um, you are actually being asked, I feel, at, at least the way that the fathers teach it. We have a different sense. We don't have only the senses that we're taught by the world that we have. So hope really taps into a different sense because it's not really logical. You're looking at structures falling apart, yet you desire another day. That's illogical. According to what's happening, there should be more fear, more anxiety, more calamity. You should stock up on more toilet paper. You should uh, really protect yourself from your neighbor. You know, you see, maybe your property is not going to be safe in a couple of, uh, who knows what the, what the elections are going to bring. So we have the mind that rationalizes all the events that are happening and predicts a certain outcome. When you put that against hope, hope looks truly ridiculous because there is no reason to hope statistically, factually, from what you're seeing. Um, we don't have much basis for, by, on which to ground hope. But we're not talking about philosophy. We're not talking about conjectures. We're talking about something spiritual. It requires a spiritual sense to understand hope. So hope is not really felt with the same senses by which you think about how many paper towels that you have to buy for this trip in case maybe because of the chaos of the elections, maybe you're not, all these things that you factor, hope keeps looking ridiculous when you try to juxtapose it against all the things that you have to do. Um, but that's exactly what we're asked to do as faithful people is do not worry. Wait, what? How can I not worry? <laughs> right. Um, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Um, do not be afraid. We read that in scripture, at least in the Christian scripture, again and again and again. And recently, I had a conversation with a priest from the Antiochian, which is the Syrian Orthodox Church. I attend sometimes there. I like the interfaith crowd there. People from different nationalities, but in the same church. So it's not interfaith, but different ethnicities, <laughs> different races in the same. Intercultural. Mm, yes, exactly. And he said this thing to me. He said, Bethlehem, like golf control. And I thought like all this year, I've been doing great at losing control. But I saw there were things that I was still hanging on to. And he said, the Lord says, do not be afraid. And I was like, yeah, I remember. He said that a bunch of times in the scripture, but he told me something which I never knew. He said, do you know how many times in scripture it says, do not be afraid? And he said, it's 365 times. And I said, one for each day. So I said, wow, this feels like a treasure. <laughs> Don't be afraid for each day. So each day I'm going to battle with my anxiety because of all the stuff that I hear. I'm not in denial of the reality of what's happening, but how I choose to carry it is what makes the difference. So this hope, this don't be afraid. I'm not even going to talk about future states being like this or like that. I, I don't imagine. I, don't, I, have no, um, I have no foresight into what the future would look like, honestly, after COVID, the world is going to change, but I'm not a social scientist in the sense of markets are going to change this or that. I don't know. 
but I have hope, which has a certain sight, and it says it's irrational, but you have something in you that can actually believe the sight unseen exists. And this small thing from this priest has been holding me. Do not be afraid. I can take one for each day and say, and why am I not afraid? Because there is a higher authority above me, which organizes, which holds this entire situation. So surrendering, which I learned the most from the Sufis. Surrender, surrender, surrender. No one taught me surrendering <laughs> like the Sufis yeah. did. So I say, maybe surrendering is a good way of and not overconsumption of all the things that make yeah. you just focus on the good, the beautiful, the creative. There's enough beauty also in the world to counter the anxious things as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um Thank you for, for sharing that, and thank you, Al, for the question. Um, we have one other question um, from Amy. If uh, you'd like to briefly respond to this, we'd love to hear. Um, was there a person in your life who modeled how to reach across difference um, the way you seem to be, like, um, so skilled at? Skill we're working on. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think you're doing great. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> um, I always looked, so I started reading the Desert Fathers, um, which are the men and women who went out into the deserts in the early Christian centuries, in the first, second, and third centuries, mostly in the Egyptian and the Palestinian deserts. And there's a collection of their sayings, the, the sayings of the Desert Fathers, and these are small, short, pithy sayings, very much like Zen koans in some way to me. But um, they modeled different kinds of holy people to me. Some were, some were introverts, some couldn't stand being around people, some were educated, some were illiterate, all kinds of people trying to be holy. And I had a museum of people from whom to choose to model myself. Honestly, in real life, yeah. I have maybe, I, I say all oh, my my role models are no longer alive, but they feel very oh. much alive to me through the books that I read. <laughs> so I rely on the Desert Fathers and then the Philokalia, which is a collection of all the Christian fathers and I read a lot of the Sufis. At the end of the day, all the practitioners who are truly seeking God, they start looking the same. They behave the same. They respond the same. They make outward look different with yellow robes, one short hair, one long hair, all different external expressions. But I can really tell who's a practitioner by the peace that they have. And I've met them in a Buddhist guise, in a Sufi guise, in an Orthodox guise. One who is a true practitioner, who models himself to become like one of his inspiration. I don't know what religious figure he's following, but I can see the evidence in the person, in the way that they have become, in the way that peace permeates, it, it precedes them. They don't speak about their peace. Their peace precedes them. So these men and women to me gave me a challenge. And when you read old text, you know, all the rules seem harder back in the days. And I really stuck to that. Fasting, praying, and really dedicate the daily prayers gave me the discipline. So if I say I listen to Saint Anthony, Saint Athanasius. St. Arsenius, I have to say, I have to try to do at least something. It's, it's not good enough to read the amazing stories, the Zen koans. You have to apply it to yourself. So by, they became my models and some didn't fit me, I dropped. But the great thing is there are many saints in the world upon whom we can model ourselves. So I can't talk about any living person off the top of my head, honestly. But these 
fathers really helped me. The desert. I, I would say that's a great answer. <laughs> you know, living, living uh, or deceased. Definitely a great answer. That's what um, so I just want to thank you so much. I know we're approaching time right now. Um, you know, for for coming onto this podcast or even answering my email after I messaged you um, that very first time. This is. Uh, been such a great conversation thank you it was wonderful it was my pleasure thank you amy and Alyssa. it's a pleasure to have you and one other zoom user um <laughs> thank you for the questions i hope i didn't really prepare for this i wanted it to be conversational but i think the spirit has helped it so um is this closing time yeah. um yeah, uh, Ali, would you like to close us out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, Bethlehem, thank you so much. Um, I feel like I've learned so much, and um, I'm sure everyone as well. Um, we just so appreciate you taking your time um, and your um, knowledge and sharing it with us. It's been amazing. Um, and uh, with that, we'll go ahead and close out. Um, and uh, I, would, I would like to say for anyone who would like to communicate with me, you're welcome to give my email address okay. uh, in whatever way I could be helpful in one-on-one -on -one conversations. I'll be happy to set time aside. And I would like also to close with the same spirit saying, Thank you, Lord, for this time and space that you have given us to have these conversations, to listen, to ask questions. May our intentions find higher purpose. May we grow. Uh, may we continue to do this good work. And may the Spirit of God help us. Thank you, everyone, for this time. I've learned a lot as well. And thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful night. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. The schedule for live Arts and Minds programs can be found online at events.dom.edu. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to the production team of Samantha Barr and Patrick Serrano. Theme music is 10 Days Sailing by El Rey Music. Closing music, so proudly Dominican, composed and played by Sue Kaczynski. The views and opinions of the speakers in the podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Dominican University. A wise Dominican sister once said, the search for wisdom, for love, for truth, is strenuous and unending. It takes good companions to persevere in it. Thank you for joining us.